What is your favorite time travel movie? You guys have a favorite time travel movie? I feel like those have really been blowing up lately, time travel back and forth movies. I'm kind of I'm kind of over it, I got to admit. I have what I think I was just describing to a friend. I have time travel movie fatigue. Like as soon as they're like, "We're going." I'm like, "I'm I'm fine, just whatever." <laughs> well, I don't want I don't need you to explain it. It never makes any sense. Right? It's it's fine. There's no physics that make it work. It's because, you know, it, what's interesting is that there was no time travel story between the late b- before the late 1700s. That's the first time that, that people began to play around with the concept of time travel. It's because it's a fairy tale story for the modern age. It's a fairy tale story for the industrialized world. It's a fairy tale story for scientifically minded sinners. For sinners who, who trust in science, they think, if we could just travel back in time, what is the hope of every time travel story? We could just, we could fix it. We could just fix it. I would just know not to do that. I would just stop doing that. I would tell them to, I could just fix it. But we can't, we can't. It's a fairy tale. It's a modern fairy tale. It's, it's putting, putting old scientists to bed quietly. <laughs> the glass of milk and a time travel story. But, but maybe they're not too far off. Maybe we do need something like that, even if they can't deliver it. Like Doc said, if, we're go- if we want to fix things, we're going to have to go back. We're going to have to go back to the future. I've always wanted to say that in a sermon. We're going to go back <laughs> to the future. Let's start by going back, and then we'll go back to the future. Look with me at Amos chapter 7. You may have noticed, as Mike read this, a kind of a reoccurrence of phrases. We're going to look at these just briefly. Amos 7 and 8 is built around four visions. Just notice this with me as we walk through this. Chapter 7, verse 1, this is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, verse 4, this is what the Lord God showed me. Behold. Verse 7, this is what he showed me. Behold. Chapter 8, verse 1, this is what the Lord God showed me. Behold. So there's these four visions, and two of them are very similar, and then the second two are very similar. So the first two, look with me at, again, chapter 7, verse 1. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, he was forming locusts when the latter growth was just beginning to sprout. This is a vision of judgment. On an agricultural society, locusts is like the worst thing that could possibly happen. But notice what happens here. This, he get, Amos gets this vision of judgment, but then, in verse 2, I said, O Lord God, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He's so small. And the Lord relented. It shall not be, says the Lord. In verse 3, this is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, the Lord was calling for judgment by fire. Second, or tied for first, worst thing to happen in an agricultural society. Verse 5, then Amos says, Oh, Lord God, please cease. You see the the resonance with verse 2. Please cease. How can Jacob stand? He's so small. The Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be. So the first two visions are visions of judgment that's going to come on Israel. But Amos intercedes. This is building something here. So he intercedes and God relents. But now there's a shift. Look at verse 7. Now this is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line. You guys, some of you know what a plumb line is. Probably a lot of you don't. It's like an old-fashioned level, right? So the Lord's standing beside a wall with a six-foot level. He's holding up the level to it. And the Lord said to me, verse 8, The Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. 
And the Lord said, Behold, I'm setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I'm never going to pass by them again. So the plumb line vision, the Lord's holding up the six foot level to Israel. And what's he see? He sees this, everything's crooked. He says, Amos, come here, look at this wall. You see that? What should I do with this? Come here, look at this door jam. What should I do with this? Look at this. Look at the, even these pictures are all janky. Look at the floor. What should I do with a house where nothing is level? Where nothing's true? What should I do, Amos? He's saying, I'm never going to pass by here again. It's over. It's done. What do you do with a house where everything is off plumb? Tear it down, rebuild. Do something new. But notice the difference now. In the first two visions, the Lord shows him judgment and Amos jumps in and intercedes. But now the Lord says, all right, fine. What do you see, Amos? What do you see? Are you going to intercede now? And Amos says nothing. Amos does not intercede. And so the Lord says, I will never pass by them again. We see the, the same thing. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. The same kind of scenario as this third vision. Chapter 8 of Amos, verse 1. This is what the Lord God showed me. Now, behold, a basket of summer fruit. The summer fruit would have been the last harvest of the year. This is the, the final fruit, the end fruit. In fact, you can see that play on ideas here as he continues. Same as the, the third vision, the Lord says, Amos, what do you see? Are you going to intercede for these people? You make the judgment here. What do you see? And I said, I see the basket of summer fruit. I see the final fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come. Upon my people Israel, I will never pass by them again. So the same, the same thing. This is, do, do you see, Amos, do you see all the fruit, the first fruit, the, the different harvests of the year, and now the final fruit? All of the fruit, do you see all the fruit? It's all rotten, it's all wrong. Now that the final fruit has come in, what do you say, Amos? Nothing. And God says, all right, I'm not passing by here again. I'm not coming by here again. This is over, it is done. So there's these four visions, but then you may have noticed that there's this story in the middle of chapter 7, beginning in verse 10, all the way to the end of chapter 7, there's this conversation between Amos and Amaziah. Amaziah is one of the priests of Bethel of Jeroboam II. We talked about Jeroboam before. Jeroboam was leading a group of the tribes of Israel away from the, the tribe of Judah, where, where God had promised that he would deliver his promises to the house of David in Judah. And they were saying, basically, nah, we can get what we want in this world for ourselves, by ourselves, on our own. And Jeroboam can lead us. Jeroboam is a successful military leader. He's a successful diplomat. He's, he's bartering trade deals with all the neighboring areas. And so Israel is on, a, it's on an ascendancy right now. It's rising. It's every, affluent standards of living. Everything's going up. And Amaziah is one of the, the top priests who work in the temples that Jeroboam had built. And Amaziah, what does he want to do with Amos? He wants to banish Amos. He's saying, Amos, you're not from around here. Don't come in here talking your smack. Get out of here before something bad happens to you. Go back down to Judah. We don't we need your visions. We don't need your words. And Amos says this. Look with me. Here's the point in verse 16. Amos says, now therefore hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. Do you understand what's happening? The, the top priest in Israel is the top priest is banishing the word of the Lord. The top priest 
who is supposed to be delivering the word of the Lord, or when the word of the Lord is discovered, propping up that voice so that everybody can hear it, is banishing it. So this is, this is the, the living proof of the crookedness of Israel. This is the final fruit that the Lord's saying, all right, you want to keep interceding for these guys? Look at this. And I, I want you to remember, too, the context of Amos, just like the context of all of these little minor prophets and judgment passages, we have this only because God is trying to not punish his people. If he wanted to punish his people, they'd just be punished. He's sending Amos to try to not punish them because he wants to do good to them and to do good through them. And now they're getting rid of Amos. You know what that means? That means the final fruits come in. That means everything's crooked. That means it's done. It means that time is up. Now I want to, to explain all that in a little bit maybe more detail because this movement from Amos interceding for Israel to then seeing things for himself, seeing the crookedness, seeing the abundance of sinfulness, interacting with Amaziah. He goes from interceding to just giving up. And this emphasizes the point of Amos 7 and 8, which is that there comes a time when time is up. At the beginning of this story, Amos is interceding for them. But quickly, as soon as the Lord starts to show him what's going on, he stops. And the Lord says, I'm never coming by here again. I will never pass by them again. Time is up. And when it says time is up, he starts talking about that day that's coming. That day that's coming. That day means time's up. Look with me in chapter 8, verse 3. Chapter 8 is all about now that time is up, here's what's coming. Chapter 8, verse 3, the songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day. Verse 9, and on that day, declares the Lord God, I'll make the sun go down at noon. Verse 11, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I'll send a famine on the land. And verse 13, in that day, the lovely virgins and young men shall faint for thirst. There comes a time when time is up, and Judgment Day is coming. Now, I just want to uh, describe, observe the description of Judgment Day here. Judgment Day is going to be a time when what we've tried to forget will be remembered. Let's pick up our reading in Amos chapter 8, verse 4. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, When will the new moon be over, that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath, that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great, and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, Surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Shall not the land tremble on this account, and everyone mourn who dwells in it, and all of it will rise like the Nile and be tossed and sink again like the Nile of Egypt? The picture there is of a, a, a flooding, the spring floods, it comes and it stirs up the Nile, the, the, the water goes in, kicks everything up, overflows its bank, and then what happens? What's left after the water recedes? It's just gross. It's all the muck and stuff that was safely hidden on the bottom is now scattered around everywhere. Judgment Day is going to be a time when what we try to forget will be remembered, when all that injustice 
all of our participation in it, our collusion with it, our perpetrating it will be exposed. Judgment Day is going to be time when the good that we've experienced will be reversed. He goes on to say in verse 9, On that day, declares the Lord God, I'll make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight, and I'll turn your feasts into funerals and all your songs into lamentations. I'll bring sackcloth on every waist, baldness on every head, and I'll make it like the morning for an only son at the end of a bitter day, and the end of it like a bitter day. If that sounds a little bit echoey of God's judgments on Egypt, this fits with the theme that we've seen in Amos, where the judgment that God has delivered to the nations and has promised against the nations, He's doing against His people because instead of Israel being full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, Israel is full of the same immorality, idolatry, and injustice that we see in the world. Judgment Day is going to be a time when the hope that we've ignored will be removed. Look at verse 11. The days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. What did they just do with the word of the Lord? What did the high priest of the biggest temple in Israel just do with the word of the Lord? Just banished it. So this is ironic. Someday they're going to they're be looking for this hope that they've ignored. No hope, no word of the Lord equals no hope, equals it's over. And the last thing in chapter 8, that, day, that judgment day will be a day when what we hoped in, our gods, our money, our politicians, our programs, our plans, our big science and technology, our prestige in the world, all of these things that we hoped in, all of these gods are going to be revealed. Verse 13 at the very end of chapter 8, In that day the lovely virgins and young men shall faint for thirst, those who swear by the guilt of Samaria. These are all euphemisms for their temples and their idols. The guilt of Samaria. And say, all those who say, as your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall fall, they shall never rise again. It's, it's over. There will come a time when time is up. This is what Amos is saying. There will come a time when time is up. Now, most of us, all of us, live thinking that, well, there's always, there's always, what? There's always tomorrow. There's always tomorrow. We've always got tomorrow, don't we? Is there? Is there always tomorrow? Jesus tells a little story in Luke chapter 12. He tells him a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns, build larger barns, and there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this night your soul is required of you. And these things that you've prepared, whose will they be? Will there be tomorrow? Maybe. I hope you. Maybe. You know, uh, I recently heard a Mexican proverb. I thought, I like this. We feel this way because, according to this Mexican proverb, uh, you cannot die the day before your death. You cannot die the day before your death. <laughs> and I think that proverb works because we all feel invincible. We all feel like we're going to live forever. But, but for all of us, there will be 
some day after which there's no tomorrow. And as Amos, as the Bible says, that that day is going to come. We are going to all stand before the judgment seat. We're all going to have our misdeeds exposed, our good times reversed, our hope snatched away, the gods that we put our hope in shattered in front of us. This is a judgment that Amos prophesies over Israel that is reflective of the judgment well-deserved and overdue that will come upon all people. Right There comes a time when time is up. There comes a time when the level is put up to our lives. There comes a time when the wind blows and the final fruit is knocked down. This is the message of Amos for Israel. This is the message through Amos that bothers us this morning. But what if, what if there was somebody like Amos, but somebody greater than Amos, who didn't get tired, who didn't get overwhelmed by the crookedness of our lives? Amos looked at that plumb line and he looked at it next to Israel and he thought, oh my goodness. But what if there was somebody greater than Amos who could look at the crookedness of our lives and not be overwhelmed? Who could see the abundance of our sinfulness, the first harvest, the middle harvest, the final harvest of all the fruit of our lives, and it all stinks, and, not be, and he would not be overwhelmed. But he would continue to intercede for us. He would continue to work for our, our, our salvation. What if there was somebody who, like Amos, was greater, did his job in a, even better, and so he would be there on that judgment day, that day, would be there standing between us and judgment. Who would be a greater priest to intercede for God's people. Who would be a king for us and fight for our deliverance. Who would lay himself out and take what we deserve and save us from the wrath to come. That's what the, these chapters cry out for. We see it in Amos a little bit. If there's somebody there who would intercede, somebody who would plead our case, God says, I'll relent. But then Amos is quiet. He's overwhelmed, as we all would be. I like preaching from the Old Testament because it, it reminds us of the foundational stories of our faith. And the foundational story of the people of Israel, a story that they, that they told constantly. It was retold, told and retold. It was sung. It was reenacted every week and on every high and holy day in the nation of Israel. It was a story about a man who would come from God, who would take our place like a lamb sacrifice. It was a story of a man who would come from God and would stand in our place before God, just like a lamb led to the slaughter. And the people of Israel would tell this story and reenact this story, and they would come to the temple and come to the priest with their sin-filled lives. And their only hope was that the lamb from God would take their place. And so they would, they would do this ritual, they would do this liturgy, they would get the lamb, they would get the animal to be sacrificed, and they would go and they would put their hands on its head. To symbolically say, I don't know if they would think in terms of transferring, but they would say, I'm, I'm laying my sins upon this lamb. And then the priest would kill the lamb, and then the priest would take blood from the lamb and sprinkle it on them. 
to say that the lamb's death is now applied to you for your sins. That the lamb took your sins, killed them, and that work is now yours. That work belongs to you. Every Israelite knew this story. The story of Christ, the story of the Messiah, of the Christ. Mary and Joseph knew this story. And so when the angels said to Joseph, I want you to name your baby Jesus because he's going to be the one to save his people from their sins, they knew what he was talking about. He's going to be the one from God to stand before God in our place like a lamb to be sacrificed. Have you ever noticed how in the gospel stories, Jesus is uh, he's in a, he's very time conscious. We, we see this in a couple places. Uh, so here, the, the gospel of John, John chapter 1, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Love that. So that's, this, is the, this is what Jesus is here to do, right? And then we read this a few verses, a few verses later. John chapter 2, Jesus is uh, turning the water into wine in Canaan, his first miracle. His mother says, hey, do the thing. And he says, my hour has not yet come. And we're like, what is he talking about? A couple chapters later, his brothers are giving him garbage. And Jesus says, listen, my hour has not yet come. But then, but then, two, three days before Jesus is crucified, the week when Israel celebrated the Day of Atonement, the week when they were getting the Passover lambs, Jesus says this, the hour has come. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now my soul is troubled, but what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. For this purpose, I have come to this hour. I have come to save the world from its sins at this hour. And now is the judgment of this world. Jesus' hour came when it was time for the world to be judged. And on that cross, Jesus took... The judgment of that day that Amos was talking about, on that day, Jesus took that judgment on himself. And I wanted to walk through how thick and thorough that judgment will be because Jesus took all of it. He took the whole thing, all of it, on himself, and it is done. Right? What did he say on the cross at the end? He says, it is finished. That's right. In the words of Amos, God's not walking by them again. He's not walking by that place again. Because all that judgment fell. Jesus' judgment is as final and absolute as the vision Amos saw. It is as final and absolute as the vision Amos saw. Jesus took the punishment that his people deserved. He fulfilled their purpose that they were called for by then offering that salvation, not just to Israel, but to all of us, to all sinners everywhere, which is good news for us because, right, there's going to be a time when our time's up. Hebrews chapter 9, there's appointed unto everybody a time to die, and after that, judgment day. 
There's a time for all of us when time is up. But listen, here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus went to then for you. <laughs> he went to then. On the cross, Jesus went to where our judgment waits, and he took it. When that day comes, friends, listen to this. When, when that day comes, that day comes, and my time is up, I know that's not the end for me. I know I'm going to be safe. Do you know why? Because Jesus died for me. Can you say that? Do you feel that? On that day, on judgment day, are you going to be safe? When Jesus died in the past, He took that judgment in my future so that I can know that I am saved today. I hope that all of you not just know this to be true, but feel it to be true, to trust in Jesus Christ for salvation today. I hope that you will do one of two things this morning, that you'll get saved, that you'll let that blood be sprinkled on you, let that sacrifice be applied to you in your sins, and if you are saved, I want you to feel safe. Feel safe. First of all, get saved, right? Don't, listen, don't get rid of Amos. Come on, leave Amos alone. Right? Uh, without the word of the Lord in your life, there's no hope. We need, without the word that God loved the world so much, the, world that he, the, the word that says that He sent His only Son, so that all you have to do, the word that says that all you have to do is put your faith in Jesus. The word that says if you will just trust the loving heart of God and His work through His Son, Jesus Christ, you may be saved and enter into life indeed forever and escape from the wrath through Him. That word is our only hope. Friends, all of the stuff that Israel is trying to do, we all try to do. But the reality is that you can't make your life straight enough. There is no one righteous, not a single one of us. The, the, the level don't lie. And we can't prevent the fruit of what we've sown. We can't prevent that fruit from coming. We can't stop the Nile from flooding. In the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, he said the righteous judge on that day is going to bring to light the things hidden in darkness and expose the secrets of the heart. We can't make any of the other gods that we're hoping for, we can't make them real. Right? There's salvation only in one name. And all of those things about our crookedness and about the abundance of our sinfulness and about our hopelessness apart from Jesus, that is an unpleasant set of truths. It can be a very unpleasant message, but listen, just wait. <laughs> wait for it and it gets really pleasant. So let's talk about that pleasantness. Friends, I know I'm speaking mostly to people this morning who know themselves to be saved. And here's what I want you to take away. Amos 7 and 8 has happened. Jesus has come. He has died for you. I want you to feel safe. Do you feel safe? Do you feel that absolute security of what Christ has done for you? Paul says in Romans 5, since we've been justified by Jesus' blood, how much more are we going to be saved by Him from the wrath of God? We can enjoy absolute security. There's no condemnation, no threat of condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
I think of the words of Amos, what the Lord said in that vision. I'm not going to pass by here again. I'm not going to pass by here again. The crookedness of your life, your mistakes, your weaknesses, they're not going to be reviewed again. On that day for you, the only thing that's going to be reviewed is the many glories and beauties of Jesus. It's going to be a celebration of Him, not a shaming of you. You can enjoy absolute security. You will not be subjected to justice. The law came. It's not coming for you. What you deserve, you never have to be afraid of getting because Jesus died for you. You can enjoy absolute security. You will never be exposed. I was just listening to a, a podcast about the, uh, the chick tracks. Do you guys remember the, the little cartoon tracks of the 80s and 90s? And I remember one that was really captivating was this idea that we're going to like, everybody's going to be in front of an outdoor theater screen, right? And all of the ugly things of our lives are going to be projected up there. And we're going to be shamed and mocked and ridiculed and, and judged. That's not going to happen. Jesus went up on the screen. He went up on the cross. He was exposed and humiliated in our place. We can enjoy absolute security. All of the features of that day that make it so horrible, Jesus took so that we might, we might know and enjoy absolute security. You know, it's true and good and kind of popular to say that life in Jesus Christ is so much more than just being saved. And it is. It's so much more than being saved. But listen, everything that the Christian life is grows from and is built on the absolute security of what Jesus did for us on Judgment Day when He died on the cross. Now, because many of, most of us are, are professing believers is the way that they're described, uh, we, we trust in Jesus Christ I'm telling you to enjoy absolute security because of what Jesus did. But how do you do that? How do you enjoy absolute security? You remember what the Lord said to Amos a couple times? He said, what do you see, Amos? What do you see? How do you enjoy absolute security? You need to appreciate a few things that Amos saw and something that Amos didn't. First, you need to see how crooked your life is, how abundant your sins are. That's the first thing you have to see. How well-deserved your punishment is. When you look at your life, like Amos looked at Israel, I got nothing to say. You got nothing to say. But then we got to see something else. We got to see Jesus. For you to enjoy the absolute security that we have in Jesus Christ, you need to understand what it all means, <laughs> and then you need to understand what it means that Jesus paid it. He paid it all. What is it? What is all of it? It's all the crookedness. It's the abundance of the reoccurring sinfulness of my life. Every stage of my life, when I was little, when I was medium, and now that I'm big, it's always been full of sins. That's what it is, all of it. But Jesus paid for all of it. And when you can see those three things, you will enjoy your security so much more. To enjoy our security that we have in Jesus Christ, we've got to do a little bit of time travel. We've got to, here's the one time travel story I want you to actually care about. 
today, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you live in future salvation that Jesus accomplished in your past. You can live saved. I'm saved. Why? Because in my future, there's no fear of judgment because Jesus on that day took that day. So today, I can be at peace. Jesus went to judgment day on the cross that we may be saved. Are you saved this morning? If you are saved, I hope you feel safe. I hope you feel safe. Now, maybe this time travel story doesn't necessarily sound like it's going to fix everything in your life, but, but wait for it. It's a start. It grows from here. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what you've done in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you for this word from the book of Amos to get a, a picture of how sinful and crooked and, and full of sin our life is and, and how well-deserving of a complete and thorough thrashing we are so that we might appreciate what it is that we're about to celebrate together, the death of our Lord Jesus Christ in our place. And we, Lord, in our hearts, by faith, we put our hands upon him and say, he's taking my place. He's doing this for me. And his death, his shed blood, sprinkled upon us to symbolize the washing away of all our sins, washing away of all our fear of judgment. Father God, I pray that every single one of us here who has put their faith in Jesus would feel absolutely, totally safe in him. And those of us who perhaps are thinking about it, who have not made that commitment and have not put their hands upon him, have not trusted in him and what he did for them. Lord, I pray that you would stir up their hearts to do so, that they may be saved. We thank you for this word. Let it dwell in us richly. In Jesus' name, amen.